How are we doing this morning? Feeling alive? Oh, wow. Okay. That's more than I expected. We're feeling alive. We're feeling fresh. Good. Guys, we started a new uh, series last week called uh, One Another, looking at some of the different statements in the New Testament about uh, how we ought to live together as, as followers of Jesus Christ. One of the things that is evident in the New Testament writings, the writings of the early church, is that when we have been take, overtaken by the gospel, it ought to affect everything. It's not a one-off. It's not a stamp in the passport and wait till Jesus comes. It is something that ought to overflow in us and, and overflow out to people that we are in relationship with. So that not only should it, should it be evident within the church that we are a forgiving, loving, united people, but that that should burst out of the church into our community into our relationships and families, how we deal with people who cut us off in traffic, all those kinds of things ought to be, um, be affected by this experience that we've had uh, in Christ. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Matthew was written by one of the early followers of Jesus Christ. It's one of the four, what are called the Gospels. Gospel means good news. So if you're new to the church and this whole idea... Um, there are four, four Gospels in the New Testament, the, the second half of, of the Bible, that, that talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Matthew is one of them. And he's talking here about a specific teaching that Jesus gave his disciples one day. I'm going to invite you to stand out of respect for God's Word, and I'm going to be reading this in the uh, New Living Translation, which we'll have on the screen behind me here, the Word of God to us this morning. Then Peter came to him, being Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to... Press pause there for a second. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to... That means that everything in this parable does not mean that's exactly how the kingdom of God is like. It can be compared to. One of the aspects of reading a parable is kind of deciphering which part of this is like the kingdom of God and which parts are not. There's a lot of hyperbole. There's a lot of exaggeration in parables to help make a point, okay? So we're about to talk about a pagan king and how a pagan king can deal with people in order to make the strong point, okay? But we're not saying there's there's an aspect of torture in this parable. Jews were taught that you don't torture prisoners, okay? So that's an aspect that just... Want that to be in there, okay? Um, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Some of yours would say tens of thousands. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Impossible. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him And begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. Sounds familiar. He pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, 
put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called, on, called in the man he had forgiven. He said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Siri agrees. (laughs) God of grace, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. There's not one person in this room, myself included, to whom this does not apply. We all come here as your Servants, we all come here as those who, who ought to recognize you as Lord, and so this has something to say to us. I pray that whatever might get in the way of that this morning, we would just throw that out, and we would allow you to speak to us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, guys, let's, let's start right here with this question. Who do you need to forgive? Now, for some of you, you had a face and a name like that. Who do you need to forgive? Might be someone from this week. Might be someone from a decade ago. Might be someone who doesn't even remember your name anymore. How does that make you feel? Who do you need to forgive? Most likely, if you're like most of us, more than one person. But I want you to have someone in mind. No doubt, when Peter asked this question of Jesus, he had someone in mind. He had someone, how, how, how often? Maybe it was one of the other disciples that were standing with him. Maybe he was looking, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? You always feel for Peter in the New Testament. You always feel for Peter in, in the Gospels. Peter was the kind of guy who was always so eager to make things happen, so eager to, to help Jesus, maybe where he thought Jesus wasn't doing a good, good enough job, that he would kind of step in, and then he'd kind of back off. He'd, he'd overpromise and underdeliver. He was that kind of guy. He was always the guy that you kind of cringed whenever he said something. He's kind of like the Michael Scott of, of, uh, of the Gospels. No, I thought I had a picture of Michael Scott. You know, there we go. The world's best boss. And if you know the show, he bought that for himself, which is kind of comical. Um, but every time Michael Scott speaks, you kind of go, uh, and you might even understand what he's getting at. You might even understand where the heart is, but he doesn't really read the social cues, and there always seems to be a, oh, a bit of a, a cringiness to it. That's kind of what happens with, with Peter every time, not every time, but a lot of the times that he speaks in the Gospels. He's kind of like Michael Scott. In chapter 16 of Matthew, he says, you're the Christ. You, you got, you're, the, you're the chosen one of God, but don't go to the cross. Okay. You, oh, in, in chapter 17, Moses and Elijah show up on the mountaintop. I know what we have to do. We have to build a tent. What? He, he, always, he always got super excited, but was a little unsure of what the next move should be. And here he takes the common belief in his day, and he poses this question to Jesus. Now, the common teaching in, in Jesus' day, in Peter's day, was that you should, you should be only forgive someone four times. That's the limit. Once, once that, you cut him off. So Peter here, he's like, he's like going extra. He's like, I know what the rabbis say. I know what, I know what we're taught, that, that we should forgive four times, and that's the limit. But Jesus, hey, it's a good day. Seven times, Jesus? Seven times? 
She says, no, 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 no. Nice try again, Peter. No, 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 no. He says, not seven times, but seven times seven. Seventy times seven. Now, what Jesus is not saying is that when you get to 490, no, I did not just do that. I, I had that written down. When you get to 490, that, that's it. If you get to 491, you cut that person off. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the number should be so high you shouldn't even be counting it. That you ought to live the kind of life in response to a king who forgives to breathe out forgiveness and mercy. He's saying don't have a number. To love another person means you forgive. To love properly, to live with one another in harmony means that we forgive. And so this forgiveness that Jesus is talking about in this peril has a, a couple of characteristics that I want us to look at. First of all, this forgiveness does not keep count. This kind of forgiveness is really bad with numbers. I read out of a, a psalm during our prayer, Psalm 103, he throws away our sin as far, as, away, as far away as the east is from the west. How do you measure that? There's another text that says, he throws our sin into the lake of forgetfulness and remembers it no more. God is all-knowing, but he's very forgetful when it comes to our sin. And that's the kind of forgiveness that we are called to express. I, I can safely say, now con, confession time, I can safely say that I sin every day. If you, want, if you want me to send in my resignation, let me know. But I can safely say I sin every day. And if we were to do math, I'm 48 years old, 365 days a year times 10 sins. That's 175,200. And that's being very generous with myself. And I am very glad that my wife and my kids and you do not keep track of every time I mess up. And that's only the stuff that's public and can be seen. What about the stuff that God knows of, of where my thoughts go, where my heart goes? I am glad that we worship and serve a God who is very forgetful when it comes to our sin. That is the kind of forgiveness that we are invited to be a part of. Now, a side note. Forgiveness and trust are two very different things. Please hear that. If there's someone who is, if there's abuse going on, if there's a hurt going on, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying everything's fine, let's do this again. That's not what I'm talking about. There are aspects of trust that are not quickly earned when trust is broken. Then it is not good for you to step back into certain situations. It is not good for that other person, and it's not good for the kingdom to be living in, in certain situations. That is separate than forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that you harness and you hold and you do not let go and you let it grow and you let it harden and you let it get stronger and stronger until it becomes hatred, until it becomes bitterness. So I just wanted to mention that those are two kind of separate things. But, but Jesus is saying, ultimately, all sin is an affront to God, and God through Christ is not keeping count. Isn't that good news? <laughs> That's good news. I wake up every morning very happy about that. God does not keep count, and therefore the, the question of this parable is, the question that Jesus is giving to Peter is, therefore, what gives you the right to keep count? Why are you keeping tally? If, as God through Christ has forgiven again and again, so we ought to forgive again and again. When we got beyond the, beyond the taking the shoes off and using our toes, it just keeps going, our ability to throw out forgiveness. My debt is impossible to pay. Now, in some of your texts, it may say millions. In other ones, it talks about talents. It talks about he owed talents, thousands. The, the numbers in the Greek talent is the highest uh, highest coin you could use. 
The, the, the word they use for thousands is the highest amount. So basically, Jesus is saying that this guy, it was a, a, a zillions. It was a, an amount you could not fathom this guy owed, and the king forgave it. That's what we're invited into. That was a debt that could never be paid. He would never get out of it. He, he claimed he could pay it back. It would have never happened. It would have been impossible. Everything this servant does makes sense when you come before a king like this, falling on your knees, begging. And this king didn't make sense at all in his day. He had every right to do anything he wanted with his servant. But he says, no payment plan. You're done. Don't worry about it. Not, I'll take 10% of your wages until you pay this back. No, I'll take your family and throw them away until you pay it, and then you can have them back. He says, it's completely clean. Don't worry about it. King said, I'll give you complete release from your debt. Now, as the parable opens, that's, that's kind of the first scene of this parable. The second scene, you would think as the curtain opens on the second scene, there'd be like this Scrooge-like moment. From Christmas Carol, it'd be like, get the biggest goose. Let's all get together. Let's celebrate this new life I have. But we don't see that. We're really let down, actually. You would think there'd be this, this burst of, of grace and, and this new kind of living from the servant. That doesn't happen. In verse 28, it says this. It says, when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Now, the translation, the New Living Translation, is a, is, makes it sound even less. It's a substantial amount. It's still a substantial amount. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Fellow servant fell down before him, begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. He pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. This, this should cause disgust. As, the, as Jesus was telling this parable, the, the, the disciples would have been shaking their heads. They're like, who, who does that? What kind of person does that? It's so irrational. It's so unexpected. And that's the point Jesus is making. He's saying, this forgiveness that I am offering you, this forgiveness should result in forgiveness. It's the beginning of more forgiveness. It should be the, the, the pay it forward. This guy didn't get it, but you guys need to get it as my disciples, as my followers. This guy has just gone from death to life. He's just been forgiven everything, zillions of dollars. And then he seeks out a peer, a fellow worker who owes him, scholars have calculated, $16,000. It's not nothing. It's something. It's substantial. But in light of what he has been forgiven, it's very small. It would seem that at this point that the servant's memory would be jogged as he hears his peer say the exact same things that he was giving to the king. Oh, be patient with me. I'll pay this off. You would think when he hears that, he would have some mercy. No, nothing. Could have been a great pay it forward moment, great Scrooge moment. Nope. It's his desire for justice. He completely cuts himself out of this beautiful story of mercy that God's invited him into and says, I'm not going to play my life that way. I'm going to live completely outside of that grace that I've been shown. He decided that that story would not be his story. Jesus says, this is what a Christian brother or sister, a follower of mine who is not forgiving of a guilty person, this is what it looks like to God. It's despicable, it's irrational, and more than that, it's just sad. That as God lavishes grace, it would stop with us. 
as Christ followers, we are not invited to accept forgiveness and then leave it behind the day of our salvation. <laughs> We're meant to carry it with us and allow it to overflow into other people. The, the prophet Micah says in Micah 6, 8, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good and what is, and is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, love mercy, to say, I have an opportunity to forgive. Oh, it's exactly what I've been praying for. I get to show mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Those two things go hand in hand, by the way. When we walk humbly with our God, it's a lot easier to be merciful. And if I would say that if we have a problem being merciful, it may be because we have a pride problem and a lack of humility. In Luke 6, 36, Jesus says this. He says, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. As God through Christ, has forgiven our ultimate debt, we ought to forgive the significant yet much less significant debt of others. We, we can't be thinking that we, we can have it both ways. James Bryan Smith, author, says this. Doesn't it kind of look like Richard Stewart? Anyway, just thinking that, the mayor of our city. <laughs> so which way do we want to be treated? By mercy or by justice? Dare we have the audacity to look to God and ask for our rights when it comes to those who have sinned against us, but ask for mercy when it comes to our own sins? We can't have it both ways. See, any conversation about forgiving somebody, it starts with putting ourselves in the framework of the forgiveness that we've been offered. Right? Anytime we are struggling with what it means to forgive somebody, we have to place our framework in this parable and the fact that we have been forgiven the ultimate debt. Growing in forgiveness means we have a, a better, fuller understanding and experience of all that we have been forgiven. So if we're having a hard time forgiving somebody, it doesn't start with that person. It doesn't start with them coming to us because you know what? They might never come to you and repent. That's not where it starts forgiving somebody. It starts with understanding the story that we've been invited into and the forgiveness that we have been offered, how we have wronged others and there has been forgiveness. We come to see how desperate our need is for forgiveness and we realize how much we've been forgiven. It provides the context for us to be able to finally forgive other people. And this forgiveness is unlimited. There's, there's, no, there's, there's no hole so deep that his mercy can't fill it. That's how he's expressed it to us. And that's how we're meant to express it to other people. And here we get to the, the heart of the issue. Because he says it is, it's a heart thing in verse 35. It, we have to forgive from the heart. Now, many of you maybe remember long road trips where you're with a sibling and you're, like, you're drawing like boundaries. This is my side. Don't come on my side. I went to your side. Nuh-uh, I touched you. No, you didn't. I've got a, a force field. Those kinds of discussions. Maybe you were there. Maybe you're the parent who has to deal with it, and you're doing the slap. You pull over, and there's been an argument, so you pull over. You say, you apologize. I want to apologize. You apologize. I'm telling you to apologize. I'm sorry. Now, you say, I forgive you. I forgive you. That's not what, it's not what Jesus is asking for here. It's not the, the, the backseat sibling forgiveness. It's the real deal from the heart, says in verse 35. And it's far-reaching. Our model of how we ought to forgive comes from the model of God's love. Matthew 5, verse 43, says this. 
It says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I want you to think about the way you've been persecuted, the way you've been hurt, the way you've been broken by people. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight, catch this, he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. Not only those who recognize him, but even the evil. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. We read that in the West and we think that's a negative thing. It's actually a good thing. (laughs) When rain shows up, because you can grow things. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you, are, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. God's love, his mercy, his grace is not limited to only those who recognize him. In the same way, our forgiveness is not limited to those who've recognized that they've done something wrong. That's a hard one. Because I tell you, we live in a time where we want to see people shamed. We want to see them repent on social media or on the news. And then maybe, maybe we'll show you forgiveness. Our forgiveness is not limited to those who we love. It's not limited to those we call family even. It's extended to all. Now, here we come to the part that I didn't want to talk about and that no preacher wants to talk about. This is kind of the third scene here of this parable. It says, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? That is the the crux of the whole parable. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That is a harsh statement. And what it is, is a call for authenticity. It's a a call for those who smugly walk away from forgiving and are hard-hearted and smugly walk around saying, once saved, always saved. I got my passport stamped. I remember, yeah, there was some mercy that I was shown. That's what brought me into this this family, but I'm going to leave that behind. And they live graceless lives. See, Jesus was always careful to warn those who thought they got all the theology right, but did not live lives of grace and mercy. The acid test throughout scripture, Old Testament and New, was always, how do you deal with those who are in need? Do you show grace and do you show mercy. Jesus said, if that is us, we are in danger of being part of those whom Jesus speaks of in Matthew 7. It says, not everyone who calls out to me. Do you have that up there? Matthew chapter 7? All right, thanks. Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Jesus, again, is speaking to those who think they've got it together. I know all the theological answers. I know what's, I know what's orthodox. And he says this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Those who show mercy and forgiveness and grace and love. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. All 
said from the position of power, we did this, we did this, we did this. Look at the power we had. No, 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 no. That's never been the acid test of what it means to be a follower of Christ. But did you show mercy? Did you show grace and love and forgiveness? I will reply, I never knew you. You don't look anything like me. Get away from me, you who break God's law. See, they're trying to claim that they got it all. And he says, you totally missed the point. See, the acid test of whether or not you and I are citizens of the kingdom of God is this, and it's said all over Scripture. Does the grace and forgiveness of Christ flow through us and out to others? If it does not, Jesus says we need to do some very serious reflection. We, Jesus does not give us the, the ability to have the excuse. It's just the kind of guy I am. Closed off. I'm just not that kind of guy. I don't show affection. Jesus doesn't give us room for that. <laughs> Sorry. We are called to be people of mercy and grace. See, Jesus mentions the dangers of hell far more to those who thought that they were secure than he ever did to the lost. Over and over to those who said, we get it. Jesus would say, I'm not so sure. Let us never be in danger of believing that our theology saves us, that we, we've lined it up. We know how to have a great argument. We know how to prove the resurrection. We know how to, to, to argue uh, all these apologetics. Jesus, that has never been the acid test of whether or not you belong in the kingdom of God. Here's the question. Does the unlimited mercy of God flow out of you? Unlimited mercy that was offered to you and I, or, or was, it, was it forgotten the day after you were saved and welcomed into the family of God? The last, one of the last two things I want to mention about this, this parable and this kind of forgiveness that Jesus is talking about is this, this forgiveness and this is important today. I believe that this forgiveness is the cure for our cultural sickness. The, the amount of animosity that is held on in our own lives, that we're taught to hold on to, that we're taught to be angry about, is growing and growing and growing. Paul mentions this, this idea of battling this bitterness in, in Ephesians 4. He says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander. He's talking to the church, by the way. <laughs> There's a church where this is going on. Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, bitterness is an evil behavior. Rage, anger, harsh words. These are bitter behaviors. Be kind to each other. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. That's the parable in a nutshell. I would imagine that if forgiveness was, was raised to the level that Jesus is calling us to, and we had this kind of influence of mercy and forgiveness in our community, that social media use would be cut in half. There'd be, there'd be far less news to watch if forgiveness reigned the way we are invited and, and called to, to express Forgiveness. It's a cure for so much of what you and I walk with, so much of what we carry in bitterness and hurt from others. It affects us emotionally. Have you ever sat with someone who's just harboring bitterness? 
their inability to move forward, the way it grows as we share their bitterness and then get as angry as they are, it loves company. Spiritually, Scripture is very clear that when we live with unforgiveness in our heart, there's, a, there's a, 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 a cut that's put between God the Father and us. James writes in his letter, you, you can't curse people with your mouth and then praise God with that same mouth and think you are going to have a healthy walk with God the Father. You can't have salt water and fresh water from the same spring, he says. In the same way, you can't curse people who've been made in the image of God and worship him at the same time. There's a spiritual brokenness that comes when we harbor bitterness and a lack of forgetfulness. And often the one we don't think about is that there's actually physical aspects to lacking forgiveness. The Psalms talk about this. The Proverbs talk about this. The fact that we start to rot in our bones as we, as we refuse to forgive. There's been studies in the last couple decades about putting research into, into three years after an offense has happened and an unwillingness to forgive compared to those who, who were willing to forgive similar kinds of wrongs and the health that has gone along with those who have decided to forgive. There was a study in 20, 2014 in, uh, in Psychology and Health magazine called Unforgiveness and the Broken Heart that said that if, if, you, if people who refuse to forgive in the next three years, there will be, or in the next 12 months, excuse me, there will be an increase reports of cardiovascular problems. That the stress and the anger actually affects us physically. There is health to be had physically, emotionally, spiritually when we live lives where the mercy that's been shown us just flows out of us. And this is why, and and Jesus made this very clear, and this is the last point I want to end on. And this is what we have to get into our heads. There is no such creature as an unforgiving Christian. There is no such creature as an unforgiving Christian. That being does not exist. We cannot call ourselves Christians and live unforgiving, bitter, slanderous lives. To do so is is to reject the grace that's been shown us. When you and I come to Christ, as as the servant did to the king, without reservation, with nothing to offer in order to pay the debt, we come with nothing, we do something very similar. We fall on our knees, as he did. We ask for the debt to be wiped out. And the king lifts our head, and he points to the cross, and he says, there, your debt is paid. That's what it means to follow Christ. The debt that you had before God, look to the cross. It has been paid for. Put your faith and trust in that. You will never pay for it, but my son has paid for it. That is the point. At that point, forgiveness becomes the air we breathe. It becomes the air we breathe. We breathe in forgiveness of God and we breathe out forgiveness for others. In Victor Hugo's Story, Les Mis, Les Miserables. Sorry to all you French teachers. All the hip people just call it Les Mis. There are two diametrically different characters. One is Javert, the police officer, the constable. Both would claim they've experienced the gospel. Both would claim they know who Jesus is. But Javert only understands 
Jesus through the frame of law and justice. He's unforgiving. And it, he treats everyone exactly the same. Doesn't matter whether you've murdered a family or you stole a small piece of bread, justice is going to fall hard on you. Whether it was his peers, even those above him, he always dealt through the angle of law and justice. And in his own life, and it tears him apart, he can only see himself in light of God's justice. His whole existence was leading to the throne of judgment. And it affected everything in his life. Jean Valjean, on the left, he experienced grace in such a profound way. He understood the depth of his sin. At one point he sings in the musical, My soul belongs to God. I know, I made that bargain long ago. He gave me hope. When hope was gone, he gave me strength to carry on. It's such a gospel-entrenched story. If you haven't read it or seen the musical, you need to. Throughout the story, even in the midst of struggle and danger, consistent attack by Javert, he shows love, forgiveness, and grace, even when it costs him. Because as he says, he has stared into the void, into the whirlpool of my sin. And in the midst of that, he was saved and he breathes in the grace and the life and the forgiveness and the new identity of Christ. And he spends his life breathing it out until he's taken to glory. Scripture is clear that all Christians walk towards a moment when Christ will judge the living and the dead. Javert only had eyes for that judgment seat, but authentic Christianity continually turns back and looks at the cross and reminds us what got us to where we are now. And the light of that cross shines through past the judgment seat. That is what you and I are called to live out. As that grace, the mercy hits us like a hose from behind, a fire hose just bursts right over us into the lives of other people. The air we breathe in, the air we breathe in on the day we were accepted into the family of God is the air we breathe out for the rest of our existence into the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ and into the community that we find ourselves in. So at the beginning of this message, I asked you to think of who needs to be forgiven. Not only for them, although that's an aspect of it, but for your emotional, spiritual, and physical health, and for the health of the church and for the glory of Christ. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Do not let unfinished work that we need to do with others in the area of grace and mercy and forgiveness get in the way of your walk with God the Father. And if you're wondering where to start with that, we read the text earlier, Matthew 5, 44, where Jesus said, love those who hate you and pray for those who persecute you. Love those who hate you. They're going to slander. They're going to do this. We will refuse to do that. They're going to get their gang together. It's going to be unjust because they're going to lie about us. 
We don't do that because we're people of mercy and grace and forgiveness. I guarantee the physical, emotional, spiritual health in that will be much greater than any satisfaction you'll get from putting a team together that's all going to agree with you how much you need to hate the other person. And if you want to ask if your heart is repaired in that area, ask yourself, how am I praying for that person? Am I praying that they would be blessed physically, emotionally, spiritually? Or am I, (laughs) the other one's called a curse, by the way, (laughs) or am I cursing them? So for each of us today, it may mean a phone call after this service. It means the minute we're done, our cookies and coffee, we got to get on the phone, we got to send an email, we got to get together with somebody, or it might be someone you've, you haven't seen for years, but in your heart, you need to pray blessing and forgiveness for that person. As I said, not simply for them, but also for your own health, for the health of the church, and for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would take this moment. And I think if any of us claims there's, there's no forgiveness to be given, we're probably not being honest with ourselves. But I pray that we would settle in our hearts that you are God, that you have thrown mercy on us, unwarranted, And I pray that through your spirit that would bubble up in us and it would flow into those around us so that the the offenses that happened to us would, would not stick to us, that they would be easily taken off. They would easily fall off. And God, if there is some deep hurt in us, that has gone on, I'm well aware this is not a one-off, that, there's, that, that healing takes place immediately. In some cases, there's some real work that needs to be done. So Father, give us the courage for our sake, for the sake of the church, for the, the name of Jesus, that we would do the work to find reconciliation. And God, I thank you so much for ways I've even seen that take place in this year church, where people have sought each other out and they've, they've, they've granted and accepted forgiveness for each other. May that be the way we live our lives. May that kind of mercy and grace and forgiveness flow out of our lives. May we be known as a community that welcomes all and and does not begrudgingly live together, but prays for each other, encourages each each other, loves each other, and forgives each other. So Father, for the, for the many paths that are going to lead out of here into moments of asking or offering forgiveness, I pray you would go for, before us. I pray as you, you do with your spirit, fill us and give us boldness and courage to go and do whatever you're requiring of us this morning. This is the way you have called us to live with one another. I offer each person before you this morning for whatever work you need to do in us. And I pray that we would trust you in this area of our lives. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.